Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. lesson today from the Westminster Confession is on the sacraments, generally speaking, on the sacraments. So there's a chapter on, uh, on this, and then each of the two sacraments gets its own chapter in the subsequent um, two chapters. So uh, general overview and general principles on sacraments this week, and then the next two weeks, uh, a deeper dive into each of the sacraments. So I want to start this morning by reading the two institutions of the sacraments in the New Testament. And the first is the institution of baptism in Matthew 28 at verse 18, where Jesus said, uh, Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then turning over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we could also go into the Gospels for this as well, but uh, 1 Corinthians 11, the institution of the Lord's table, which we'll, we will uh, read later in the service. It's always the introduction to our partaking of the Lord's table. For I received from the Lord that which I also, this is 1123. For I received from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us clearly, that we can understand your will, we can Uh, study your scripture, and thereby delight in you and your works. Father, as we think about the sacraments, I pray that you would uh, bless our meditations. And Lord, that you would help me to explain these things well and this summary of scripture we have in the Westminster Standards. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the sacraments, sacraments of the Lord, they're going to lead us through what exactly we're talking about when we talk about sacraments. So let's read the first section. There are a lot of very important words in this and scriptural words that we have to understand if we're going to properly understand what the sacraments are. And as you know, the, the sacraments were, and the understanding of the sacraments were very uh, controversial in the history of the Reformation, in the first, second generation reformers. 
Not only was there a um, reaction against the sacerdotal and sacramental view of the Roman Catholic Church, but then the Reformed uh, could not get on the same page themselves as far as a few questions. And the questions that uh, they couldn't come together on, but Calvin got right, are what, how is... How is Christ present in the supper, right? Or how is Christ present in the sacraments? And how is grace conferred by the, the partaking of the elements of, of the signs and seals of the sacraments? Those two questions. And so this is going to spend a lot of time trying to give us answers, very brief answers to those questions. How is Christ present, and how is grace conferred, okay? And there is a huge difference between camps in, those, uh, in the answers to those questions. So, what are sacraments? Sacraments are holy signs and seals of the covenant of grace, immediately instituted by God to represent Christ and his benefits, and to confirm our interest in him, as also to put a visible difference between those that belong to the church and the rest of the world, and solemnly to engage them to the service of God in Christ according to his word. So that's section one. Very clear, you know, nothing to explain in that. We could all get up here and teach this, right? Now it's hard. It's hard, and it gets harder. So, so sacraments are signs and seals. Those words are very import, important. Um, signs and seals is going to be how the Reformed describe these, these, the elements of the Lord's table and baptism. So what is a sign? What is a seal? What's a sign? I'll let, I'll let uh, somebody take a shot at answering this. What is a sign? What is a seal? Any thoughts? Okay. It's a vis- you used two good words, visible and representation, right? Later in the next phrase, it's, well, not the next phrase, but two phrases, it says that these sacraments are to represent Christ, and that is speaking of, of th- these things, these sacraments, as signs, right? And so, what exactly is, um, how are they using the word sign? Let's dig a little bit deeper into that. Okay, but you're not defining the word sign in that answer. You're just, you're stating something that's true, but you're not answering my question. Um, What is a sign? What is a road sign? It's an instruction, right? What, What do some things road signs say? Stop. 
Speed limit's 55. Curve ahead, right? Is the sign the curve? No, the sign is something pointing toward the curve in the road that's coming up, right? Um, that's important. Sacraments are signs that point to the reality. They are not the reality itself, which is what the Roman Catholic Church would teach, okay? That those sacraments are Christ, right? We would say we feast upon Christ in these sacraments by these signs and seals, okay? So, huge difference there. And, uh, okay, so a sign is something that represents something. It's not the reality, but it points to the reality. What's a seal? A bond. A tie. How so? Okay. It connects you to something else, right? Okay. It's a covenant. What's a seal? Okay, you're thinking of a seal like on a container. Keeps, keeps it fresh, right? That's not how seal's being used. Authority, security, confirmation. We're now we're getting somewhere. I'm feeling like we're getting there. Authentication, right? Think of this, the wax and the signet ring, okay? A seal that authenticates the sacrament, right? The, the thing. Um, and so, uh, a seal is authentication, something which authenticates or confirms that to which it is affixed or appended, Right? That to which it is fixed, it is affirming that. Okay? And so sacraments are holy signs and seals. That's what they are. We are not saved by partaking of the sacraments. We're saved how? By Christ, by the work of Christ, by the work of Christ applied to us by the instrument of faith. Okay? But these. Um, so these sacraments are not salvific. They point toward realities. They point toward Christ. They point toward His work. Okay? And they authenticate that to us. So sacraments are holy signs and seals of the covenant of grace. Right? That grace, the covenant of grace. Someone want to summarize the covenant of grace for us? You were dead in your sins. Right? And God had to work you to be saved, and he, long ages ago in Genesis, instituted that covenant of grace after the fall when we were dead in our sins and could not save ourselves, and he purposed to save us by his grace, okay? And so these sacraments point toward that covenant of grace and authenticate that, that, that covenant of grace, and then it says, that these are immediately instituted by God, which means if we don't find an explicit command for something in the, in the Scripture, then it's not a sacrament, okay? 
And these two, these two signs and seals, baptism and the Lord's Supper, are the two that we believe God explicitly commanded in his word, right? Not the seven of the Roman Catholic Church, right? Because the... Um, <clears throat> Because those seven, right, we got Lord's Supper and baptism. Can anybody, we just did this like two weeks ago, didn't we? Or last week? Or when? Can anybody name the other five? Marriage and what? Confirmation. Extreme unction. Ordination, yeah. Or vows, holy vows. Holy orders is what you're thinking. Um, and one more. No. No, we have that one. Penance. Penance. Okay? And, and though, you know, repentance obviously is commanded of Scripture, we don't see an institution of it as, as a sign and seal of the covenant of grace, as, as something laying out um, what a sacrament should be. Uh, confirmation as well. Extreme unction is uh, um, is uh, the Roman Catholic Church reads James five differently than we would, and pulls extreme unction out of calling the elders together to pray if you're sick, um, those sorts of things. But there is no a promise there that that um, that it you know, by doing it, your, all of your original sin will be washed away. Um, ordination is not commanded to the whole church, but only to a subset of the church, and so it wouldn't seem to be a sacrament that serves the whole body. Marriage, the same thing. There are people who, are, who have the gift of singleness, and so again, it would be a subset and not for the whole body of Christ. So, um, that's that's why we have two. Um, all the reformers um, came down in the same place on that. Immediately instituted by God too, and then it does this. This is what, um, it gives us four things that, why did God institute the sacraments? To represent Christ and his benefits, to represent them. Right? We, in the sacraments, we see what God has done for us. It's a visible word, right? The baptism is a washing, right? Like the washing of the Spirit and regeneration, we have a sign and seal of washing. And so it represents that, um, uh, that benefit of Christ. He's done the work. Regeneration is by the Spirit, and we see a sign and symbol of that in baptism, for example. Secondly, why did God institute the sacraments? To confirm our interest in Him, right? When we come to the table, when we participate in baptism, we are saying, I'm Christ's and Christ is mine, right? That we are proclaiming to the world that this is my, my citizenship is in heaven and it is through Christ. And then, uh, similar to that, why did God institute the sacraments? To put a visible difference between those that belong to the church and the rest of the world. 
right? So we don't willy-nilly baptize anybody, do we? No. We don't willy-nilly allow anybody to come to the Lord's table, which we'll come to later. What you'll hear me do before the Lord's table is excommunicate everybody who doesn't have faith. That's what the Reformers did. That if I was using Calvin's liturgy, it would use those words. I, I excommunicate, you know, and he'd go through a long list of sins. And that's helpful, right? That's helpful because it begins to make, it, it begins to help you see the glory of being in Jesus Christ, the salvation, the, the purification, right? The washing away of sin that he um, has won, right? And it makes you distinct from the world. It separates you off. So the, the sacraments are, are ground zero for making distinctions between those who are in and those who are out, right? And that makes postmoderns feel all like, ooh, you know? Can't we, can't we all just, you know, can't we just smooth everything out and all be absolutely equal? Well, God doesn't allow us to do that because he gives us rules for who receives baptism and who comes to the Lord's table seen in the institution that we said. And so this is, this is what the sacraments do. They make you distinct from the world. And then finally, the fourth thing, why did God institute the sacraments? Solemnly to engage you to the service of God in Christ according to his word. They remind you that you are Christ's. They remind you that, he, that God is your father and that he has called you to good works. He has called you to service. He has called you to um, be a, you know, be a good wife, be a good husband, be a good father, be a good evangelist, um, be a good witness to Jesus Christ. And so, um, those four three things represent Christ and his benefits, confirm our interest in him, make this visible difference, and then to engage us to the service of God in Christ. When we see a baptism... When we see the Lord's table, we should be thinking of our own participation, right? We are witnessing somebody, you know, taking on the, the, the sign and seal, participating in the sacrament, proclaiming their faith. And when you hear them take vows, you should be saying, okay, yeah, I took these vows, and you should, it should be reminding you of what you have promised and how you have promised to serve God, right? Same with the Lord's table. Um, we, we are reminded of the glorious grace that he has given to us in Christ when we come to the table. And, and that means living for him. That means serving him day in, day out as a thank offering to him for uh, doing the work that we could not do. So that's a, that's a general overview statement. I know we didn't, uh, we, we went through it quickly. Are there any questions on that first section before we move on to section two, which is even more harder? Yo, I'll come back.
Um, it's, I think it was a question. And um, from, from what I can tell, there, there's, again, there's no sacrificial significance to the washing of feet. Right? It's not tied to Christ's sacrifice. It's not tied to um, the, the shedding of blood, you know, as baptism slash circumcision and as the Lord's table as Passover is. And so it was not accepted as, as a sacrament. Um, but I think there, there was discussion early on in the Reformation about that. Probably earlier than that, there's long been a discussion of whether foot washing is. It seems he commands it, but then, uh, but then he command, but then he concludes that section in John, uh, what is it, thirteen, by by telling, telling us to serve one another and love one another, right? So, um, short answer to that, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Chuck gets to do that next week. The next chapter, the next chapter is on, on baptism, so I'm not going to answer. I'm going to stay generic. I could. I could answer that. I'd be happy to answer that, but I'm going to refrain. All right, so any other questions? All right, section two. And this section begins to answer the question of how is Christ present in this? How is grace conferred? If we're not actually eating the, the, the body and blood of Jesus, like the elements transubstantiate into the body and blood without looking like the body and blood, the accidents and, and all those, those things, then how exactly are we eating the body and drinking the blood of Jesus Christ. And so they begin to answer this, and um, we'll see if we can come to any understanding of what they say. There is in every sacrament a spiritual relation. Okay, that's the first thing, not a physical relation, a spiritual relation. Or sacramental union between the sign and the thing signified. Remember, the sign points toward the, the curve up ahead. It's not the curve, but then there is the curve, and that's the reality. So somehow between the sign, like the bread, and the Lord's body, there is a union between the two. But it's spiritual, not physical. And it's a sacramental union. What is that? I mean, I don't, even, I don't even think I know. A sacramental union. Um, between the sign and the thing signified, whence it comes to pass that the names and effects of the one are attributed to the other. In other words, we speak of the bread as the body of Christ. We speak of the body of Christ as the bread, right? You can speak of one or the other, and, and you're speaking of, you can speak of the bread and be speaking of the body of Christ, okay? We can still do that, 
And um, Jesus said, this is my body, right? And so, you know, we attribute the effects and natures of one to the other. But the thing that's important out of this section too is that the, the union between Jesus and the sign is spiritual and a sacramental union. And here's what Hodge says, the sign in every sacrament is sacramentally united to the grace which it signifies. And out of this union, the scriptural usage has arisen of describing to the sign whatever is true of that which the sign signifies. Okay, now he goes on and he says... Listen to this, and you tell me what it means. <laughs> Here's Hodge. A, or, uh, Charles Hodge wrote, this is Charles Hodge, right? It's not A.A. A. Hodge. Um, he wrote a commentary on the Westminster Confession of Faith, and, um, and here's what he says about this section. Out of this spiritual relation between the sign and the thing signified, or sacramental union between the sign and the grace signified, which we have thus explained by a natural and legitimate use of language, the one is put for the other, and whatever is true of the grace signified is asserted of the sign which signifies it. Thus, to eat the bread and drink the wine of the Lord's Supper is to eat the flesh and drink the blood of Christ, that is, to participate in the sacrificial virtue of his death, and whatever is true at baptism with the Holy Ghost is attributed to baptism with water. Ananias said to Paul, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Acts twenty-two sixteen. Christ gave himself for the church that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Ephesians five twenty-six. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Hence, Romanists and ritualists have inferred that the sign is inseparable from the grace signified and that these spiritual effects are due to the outward ordinance. The spiritual effect, and so what he's saying is they think it's physically there. The grace conferred is physically contained within the water, the bread, the wine, okay? Hence, the doctrine of baptismal regeneration, right? If the grace is there in the water and the grace goes on you, then you are regenerated by virtue of the water, okay? Whereas we say, no, 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 no. The Holy Spirit regenerates. And these signs and symbols point toward that reality, right? And so when somebody is baptized, they may be regenerated, they may not be. Okay, are you willing to live with that? Or do you want to be a sacramentalist and say, when the water hits, boom, you're saved? No. God commanded Isaac and Ishmael both to be circumcised, right? And he already knew one was a believer and one was not. One was a child of the covenant and one was not. And they both received the sign by God's command, okay? And so if the... If, the, if circumcision, like baptism, would have saved by the cutting off of the flesh and not the circumcision of the Spirit, then that, then Ishmael's in. Okay? 
Hence the doctrine of baptismal regeneration, but it must be observed that the scriptures do not assert these spiritual attributes of water baptism in itself considered, but of water baptism as the sign or emblem of baptism by the Spirit. Okay? These spiritual attributes belong only to baptism by the Spirit, and they accompany the sign only when the sign is accompanied by, what, by that which it signifies. It does not follow, however that the sign is inseparable from the grace. The grace is sovereign, and experience teaches us that it is often absent from the sign, and that the sign is least frequently honored by the presence of the grace when it is itself most implicitly relied upon. So I think, I think we're starting to get a bit of an answer to, that, that's complicated words. It's like he's trying to explain the Westminster, and he gets more complicated than the Westminster which sometimes happens when you're trying to explain complicated things, right? But, what, but what, he's, what he's trying to define is what the spiritual relation and what the sacramental union is. And, and it's to separate the view from that physical, right? The ex opere operato view of the sacraments where the um, water does the work. By doing the work, it works, right? And the sacraments of the Lord's table, those elements contain the grace. And when you partake of it, believe it or not, you receive an infusion of grace, okay? And so um, that is rejected by the form, Reformed faith. And, and here's why. Jesus saves. The Holy Spirit regenerates. The Father elects. It is the work of God from beginning to end, your salvation. And then why would we then go and say, no, it's the work of the sacraments? Right? But then, on the other hand, you don't want to blow up the importance of the sacraments. Right? And just say, well, they, they don't mean anything. No, they're means of grace. They do all the things in section one we talked about. They do build us up. They are good for our spirit. They do mark us off from the world. There are important elements to the, to, um, to the sacraments. And so uh, we just don't, don't want to attribute to the physical elements the virtues that only Christ, God, and the Holy Spirit possess, which is to confer salvation to whomever he determines right? We don't want to export that to the physical signs. All right. So, the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 168, asks this question, what are the parts of a sacrament? Which is what we were all thinking. I mean, what are the parts of a sacrament? <laughs> Just kidding. Um, the parts of a sacrament are two. The one, an outward and sensible sign, water, bread, wine. According to Christ's own appointment, the other, an inward and spiritual grace, thereby signified. Right? An inward and spiritual grace, thereby signified. That's how they answer it. That's as close as we can get to bringing all of this together. And... Um, I'll leave it at that.
well, the Baltimore Catechism of the Roman Catholic Church says this, the sacraments give grace through a power which they possess to sanctify the souls of men as the instruments of God. I mean, that sounds pretty good if you're not listening carefully. But listen to the sacraments give grace through a power which they possess. We say there's no power in those apart from faith, right? There's no power in the physical symbols, but there is this sacramental and spiritual union between those signs and seals and the Lord Jesus Christ. See how they bring them too close together. All right, number three. I'm not taking any questions because I probably don't have good answers. The grace which is exhibited in or by the sacraments rightly used is not conferred by any power in them. Okay, there we go. Neither doth the efficacy of a sacrament depend upon the piety or intention of him that administers it, but upon the work of the Spirit and the word of institution, which contains, together with the precept authorizing the use thereof, a promise of benefit to whom? Worthy receivers. Who are worthy receivers? Believers. Right? And their children when it comes to baptism. All right? So, a couple things I want to pull out of here. Uh, There's no inherent power in the sacraments. There's no inherent power in the bread and wine that you're going to be taking. Um, There's no inherent sacerdotal power in me as I administer these things, right? I don't go through all the hocus pocus. I don't do the consecrating. We don't ring bells. We don't incense the altar. We don't do any of that because that has nothing to do with the power that is in the sacraments, right? All of that is outward. And there is nothing about me when I fence this table. All I do, I don't, I don't um, consecrate them. I, you'll hear me say, I set apart these ordinary elements for a holy use for those who have been made holy by the Spirit, right? I don't, I don't, um, I don't put, I don't consecrate these as a Roman Catholic priest would, and that's because we have a different view of the ministry, right? The, the priests have, if you get baptized by an unbelieving priest, if you have the, come to the Eucharist with an unbelieving priest, guess what? Not good, right? Because they tie it to the piety of the one who's superintending. Which is scary. I mean, if you go to a Roman Catholic church and if you've read about the Roman Catholic church, right, in many, many quarters, I'm not going to, I don't want to paint with too broad a brushstroke, but... Um, just as in the Reformed Church, just as in the Evangelical Church, you're like, okay, not sure that that pastor has any faith whatsoever. But in the Roman Catholic Church, that has a consequence on their view of the, the sacraments. And so it's not tied to my piety. Thank the Lord, right? 
Because I would never be able to superintend at this table because I'm a sinner who's saved by grace. Okay? And um, all I do when I come up to this table, words of institution, exhortation. That's it. Words of institution, fencing the table. That's the exhortation. Don't come if you don't have faith. Don't come if you haven't been baptized. Don't come if you're in unrepentant sin. That's it. And then we distribute the elements, and you partake of them by faith. So a worthy receiver is the one who partakes of the sacraments of baptism in the Lord's table with faith. All right. So one, one thing. Let me go back. The outward sign in baptism is what? Water. The inward grace signified by baptism is what? Washing by the Holy Spirit, which is, which is regeneration, which is justification, which is sanctification, which is perseverance, which is glorification, right? The indwelling of the Spirit. And so that baptism, that sign, signifies regeneration, incorporation into the covenant, right? All those things. It's not the reality of those things. The Spirit must do that work, but it is a sign pointing toward those glorious things, right? The Lord's Supper, the outward sign is bread and wine. The inward grace signified is what? The inward grace signified. Union with Christ. Christ crucified for us. The benefits secured by His sacrifice. Right? All those benefits that come to you. The propitiation of your sins. The, the expiation. Right? The, the, uh, and then regeneration, justification, glorification. All those glorious things that come by the new covenant in Christ's blood. Uh, Warfield said the central issue between sacerdotalists and the confessions um, view is just whether it is God the Lord who saves us or it is men acting in the name and clothed with the powers of God let me say that again is it God the Lord who saves us, or is it men acting with the power that God has given to them? That's sacerdotalism, right? And um, we soundly reject that it is anybody but the Lord who saves. So he goes on, he says, the central issue between sacerdotalists and the confession is just whether it is God the Lord who saves, or it is men acting in the name and clothed with the powers of God to whom we are to look for salvation. This is the issue which divides sacerdotalism and evangelical religion. Very simply put, right? Is it God who saves or God who saves through the agency of men? And I don't want to discount the importance of ordination 
ordination is important. Ordination in the, the preaching and the, and the leading of the, the church, but it is not sacerdotal. It does not confer upon me any special powers to make the sacraments efficacious in any way. Okay. All right, that was three. All right, four. There, there be only two sacraments ordained by Christ our Lord in the gospel, that is to say baptism and the supper of the Lord, neither of which may be dispensed by any, but by a minister of the word lawfully ordained. Okay, so now they're coming back and they're like, it's not tied to the priest and he doesn't have special power from God, but these sacraments are for the church and the church has men who have been put in authority by God through ordination. And they're the ones, because they order the church's worship, who, who have authority over the sacraments. Right? So um, all those college, you know, college uh, campus ministries where they baptized you in the bathtub at somebody's house. Eh, not good. First of all, it's private celebration of the sacraments. Sacraments are for the church gathered, right? And second of all, the man who did that probably didn't have, probably wasn't ordained and um, didn't have the call uh, to rule the church in that way, okay? Would I consider, would I consider those baptisms valid? Well, was it done in the name of the Trinity? Was it done, you know, with water? Um, we would, the elder board would try to help the person make a determination on whether in good conscience they could accept that or not. And if they, the person couldn't accept that that was a valid, a valid baptism because so casual, because not at the church, because not done by a lawfully ordained minister, well, then we would likely baptize that person. And um, on the other hand, uh, I mean, these are, it's like marriage and divorce. These are like, there are questions that you have to work through, right? But we would not say, but, but it's, it's, it's not one size fits all when it comes to that. And you do have to uh, examine the person's conscience as well. Um, but, and one man's ordination is another man's um, not ordination, so, and vice versa. All right, so we say these are tied to the church. The church has officers. Those officers oversee the worship of the church especially, and sacraments are part of worship. Sacraments of the Old Testament in regard to of the spiritual things thereby signified and exhibited were for substance the same as those of the new. Circumcision and the Passover, same meaning, same things signified as baptism in the Lord's Supper. What did circumcision signify? It signified it was the sign of the covenants, and it was placed upon children, right, who were in covenant with the Lord, and God commanded it said, do it on the eighth day, right? And uh, though, though many of the 
the, though the outward sign has changed, right, the meaning between baptism and circumcision has stayed the same. Passover, shed blood so that, right, so that you might be passed over, right? Jesus is our Passover, Paul says, the Apostle Paul says, and so Jesus is that blood on the doors that caused the angel of death to pass by, and he does that for your soul, and so the, the shed blood of Jesus signifies that as well, and so we see this this uh, sacramental continuity between the Old and New Testaments, right? There are some differences, obviously, the outward signs, but as for what they signify, um, they are the same. They are exactly the same. And that is one of the primary reasons that Presbyterians baptize children because the command was to circumcise children, right? And there's nothing in the New Testament that would clarify that for a Jew saying, no, 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 no longer give the sign of, of the covenant to your children. There's nothing like that in the New Testament. Nothing at all, right? So we assume continuity unless God gives us some stop, and it just is not there, okay? And so we assume because of the continuity between the Old and New Testament sacrifices that we would need an explicit command to change those. Now, don't forget, don't forget that there's no power in the water. So when we baptize a child, we're not saying, ah, now my child is regenerate. It's an abomination, right? That is wrong. There's nothing in Scripture that would teach that, right? It speaks of baptism being a washing away of sin, right? That, that language where you can speak of one and speak of the other and back and forth. But the water doesn't have inherent power, right? Because of some, some prayer I said over it. Not at all, okay? We baptize our children because by virtue of being born to covenant members, they are covenant members. And covenant members ought to get the sign of the covenant. Okay? Are they regenerate? I don't know. I mean, I'll look at their fruits and I'll make some sort of determination, but I, you can't know. Okay? And so, um, we don't even presume regeneration. Right? We baptize our children by virtue of them being covenant members, and we don't presume regeneration, we don't assume regeneration, we baptize them, we give them the sign of the covenant because God told us to, and then we preach the gospel to them. We tell them to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. We tell them to be faithful, right? And we don't go crazy and say, you know, all the time, we don't go to them and say, look, you're baptized. Be faithful to your baptism. No, that's not the sort of language you should use. Be faithful to Christ. Don't be faithful to the sign and to the sacraments. Be faithful to Christ. Submit your life to Christ, okay? You are baptized and you've been marked and if you do fall away, you're, you're, you're in a doubly perilous place because you're a covenant breaker, but 
serve the Lord with gladness, follow him. And so, um, so Presbyterians evangelize their children. We don't presume regeneration and then uh, think that our job of discipling is done or our job of evangelism is done. That's foolish. That's foolish. All right, so we'll dig in deeper in each of the sacraments the next two weeks. I think you've got baptism. I've got the Lord's table two weeks from now. So there we go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace toward wretched sinners like us. We thank you for the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord. And Father, we pray that as we come to your table today, as we partake of this sacrament, that we would do so worthily, and that means coming with faith and being heartily sorry for our sins. And so stir up in our conscience that self-examination, that worthy partaking that you desire. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that salvation is from you from beginning to end in every aspect, uh, Father, because you, um, you are not riddled with sin and changeable as we are. And so we pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.